The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Welcome, welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America. We have a very important program for you today. I'm interviewing Yael Daniele. She's a clinical psychologist, victimologist, traumatologist, director of the Group Project for Holocaust Survivors and their children. She's also founding director of the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies. And we're going to talk about her groundbreaking therapeutic and healing work with survivors and children of survivors of individual, family, group, and community bases. Welcome, Yael. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Let's talk about uh, how you created this treatment and prevention program of long-term effects and intergenerational transmission of victimization for Holocaust survivors and their children. Uh, sure. Uh, we began in the in the 60s, actually, when uh, nobody has ever mentioned mm-hmm. uh, the Holocaust. And through my research on the psychology of hope, I discovered that survivors of the Holocaust, like many other victims, uh, as a whole, felt that nobody would listen to them or believe them when they attempted to speak of their Holocaust uh, experiences. Uh, I was so uh, impressed with the unanimity of their experience about it that I decided to then study what I call the conspiracy of silence mm-hmm. among survivors and between survivors and society that had very destructive effects on Why their... do you think why do you think people were so silent, Yale? Well I devoted a great deal of study to that. I'm glad you you're you're asking. Uh, people uh get anxious when they listen to horrific experiences. People uh, feel guilty. Uh, What I I call bystanders guilt. Uh, People feel the horror and want to run away from it and want not to listen. In fact, we discovered 49 ways of not listening when we encounter or come face to face with horror. Uh, we numb ourselves, we do all kinds of machinations, psychological machinations, to, to flee away from it, not to hear, not to be engaged. And it counters the normal human uh, tendency to empathy 
in the in, in the face of need for compassion. Hmm. So, uh, in effect, people are, uh, but the results for the survivors and their families and communities are devastating. It's like the trauma after the trauma. Hmm. So because, you, you developed adaptational styles among Holocaust survivor families. Right. And one of them is victim families. Explain that. Uh, okay, let me just explain the concept of adaptational style for a minute. Uh, it tries to say that uh, after horrific experiences, after traumatic experiences, victim survivors adapt their lives. Uh, and that's what they call it, adaptational styles. And they are different styles. Not, not everyone responds in the same way. So the first style I call the victim families, the second, the fighter family, the first, the third, the numb family, the fourth, in quotation marks, those who made it, who almost like don't seem like they went for anything. Uh, the victim families in particular uh, live their lives as if they're still being victimized, mm. as if they're still anticipating that the trauma will return. Uh, they cling to each other. They, they, uh, they tend to respond in, in catastrophic ways, like every, uh, every little threat becomes huge. Uh, they tend to, uh, to be afraid to succeed, even when they are extremely bright and, and uh, talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, and yet, now we go to the next category, the fighter families, where there are a lot of Holocaust survivor children who have succeeded. Would, do you think they may have come from a fighter family rather than a victim family? Well, they struggle a lot. You know, through life, they, they attempt all kinds of things. Fighter families pay their own price. Every style uh, succeed or fail to, to, to speak about that dimension, which is only one dimension, uh, while paying a price. So fighter families might push to succeed, but in such a way that they might put themselves in peril. Mm. Uh, okay, victim families, uh, if they succeed, they're afraid they will leave, pe- you know, people behind. Uh, which during the Holocaust meant certain death, uh, and that we never see each other again. So it becomes, I, uh, you know, progress in life becomes threatening. Num, in numb families, the children grow up with, uh, with virtual no direction from the family, so they don't, so they look for outside guidance, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Those who made it, that category, would succeed at at any price, but pay a very very immense internal psychological price for it. Yeah, I want to I want to share something quickly as part of this. That is that I interviewed uh, the Bielski family. They uh, were part of the movie, or they made a movie about the family Defiance. These were the two freedom fighters. Uh, Tuvia Bielski and Zeus Bielski, who created a community during the, the Nazi during the war. They went to Lithuania and they saved about, oh, I don't know how many. They, they saved, I think it was 1,500 people in uh-huh. three years. They lived in the woods. 
And then that would have translated into 15,000 people today. But I interviewed the children and the grandchildren, and they talked about what fighters the two men were, the grandfather, who have now passed on. Right. And certainly they pass that on to their children. But, I mean, here's an example. Now they've written a book, and their grandchildren are, are writing movies about this. But uh, when they came to this country, they were quieter, much quieter. And a lot of people looked at them as heroes, like Moses, because they had saved a lot of their grandparents mm-hmm. uh, during the during the Holocaust. But it was a very, very powerful story, uh, the movie Defiance. And it was about the Bielski boys. And so it reminded me of the fighter families that you're talking about. Absolutely. And, there, you know, there's so many of the films describe differing styles. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So, people to expect everyone to, to respond the same way, and which, of course, it never happens. Right, right. And and that the son of one of the sons is a psychotherapist and said, you know, the, the father and the uncle were always fighters, even as children. So they had that in them and <laughs> they brought that and they and they saved, you know, they saved so many lives. It was mm-hmm. pretty amazing. So um, so after the numb families, what are some other types? We have the numb. We have a fighter. We have victim. Are those the three areas? No, I, I, the fourth one is what I called in quotation marks, those who made it. Mm. Uh, Tell us about them. Who seem, who seem to- totally successful. They single-mindedly, uh, are, you know, uh, pursue uh, economic success, academic success, uh, social success. Uh, but... And, and they very much, these are, these are, for example, the people who the first thing they did when they came to this country was take out the numbers from their arms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. a great deal of their inner push is, is a result of the need to make it big or to, be, to not be a victim. Right to 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 make it big to to still so to speak defeat the Nazis mm-hmm. uh, symbolically. Uh, so so yeah. They, let me ask you. Let me ask you. What is it that these folks who made it? What is it that they did? In quotation marks. Go ahead. Okay. Right. Correct. I mean, we all have our our demons and our our, our issues. Right. But the ones who made it, they obviously had some coping strategies. Many of the other families didn't. What what was and it? On what a certain are... level, on a certain level. But as I said before, they pay a great internal price for it. Mm-hmm. They might uh, be more prone to to physical illnesses, not psychological. That is, quote, that is it's, it's unacceptable for its meaning. Uh, they need to rescue. So very often their children will get themselves into trouble to give the, the parent the possibility to rescue them. Uh, they fear intimacy because intimacy could, would lead to talking about what happened, and they're mm. too frightened to. So in mm. many ways, while they are, so to speak, externally successful, by any criterion of success, they may pay a very deep price, both internally, psychologically, and and in terms of their relationships with other human beings. Mm. 
Hmm. So the work, the work you're doing, and I know what you're doing now is you have a research project, right, that you're working on, and that you're you're working on. You would like to get funding for a research project. Uh, Right. Let me describe the project. Until now, until last year or so, we've we've studied how survivors and children of survivors have adapted to their experiences lifelong, and we've also studied them, studied multi-generationally, but more on a clinical and social level. Uh, and we've hopefully helped many. Uh, uh, as one of the first such projects in the world, we also uh, were in a position to guide many other programs. Uh, the development of many other programs and be in relationship with them. What has not been done was to to build a measure that will systematically assess multi-generational legacies of trauma. And uh, it is time to build one, and we've been very involved in developing a set of questionnaires uh, and we need to scientifically validate them. Until now, most of the studies were, did not address a valid set of que- questions that would be specific to this population, to the survivorship. Uh, yeah, well, so, yeah, yeah, I have another question about this. Would this concept also relate to other survivors? Think of 9-11. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, the, the concept we've developed and, you know, and the questionnaire and the measures with, that is the, that is why we, we're so excited about developing them would with minor modifications as to culture, to time, to, to the place, to the nature of the experience would serve for everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. From, from other genocides and massive crimes against humanity to to terrorist acts like 9/11 or or March 11 in in Spain uh, or or June 11 June 7 in in England etc. Uh, but also uh, also domestic violence, rape, mm-hmm. um, also you know crimes that are individually based. So both let me, collective and individual crime. Let me, I want to ask you this, Yale, because, you know, when you said on one of the groups, you said, you know, they've made it in quotation marks. Yes. So what that means is that there are scars. You know, there are. And for, for so many people, how it, I, I know you've been doing this for many years and there's no one prescription. But what are some things that, that start to work for people who have these these traumas? I mean, what are is it therapy? Is it meditation? Is it you know? I, what are some of the interventions that you have found that work? Look, awareness is number one. Whatever the context, mm-hmm. uh, many of the coping styles I described run away from awareness. You see, so the awareness would be number one, mm-hmm. and the acknowledgement that, you know, that you have suffered and you have paid a a price for it. And furthermore, it might be for a lifetime, but also your children have 
and your grandchildren might if you don't provide this awareness. So awareness, engagement, communication, uh, openness. Do you, and let me ask you, do you think people should talk about this openly? Should they be telling the horrific stories to their children and grandchildren? What's your advice uh, on that? I don't do should very much. People choose to do what they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I respect that profoundly. Uh, I believe that open, open expression, uh, open sharing of the fact and expression of feelings does help. It depends when and what circumstances. Is it going to be therapeutic or reparative? Or is it stated to, 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 to make a point or to demolish somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, communication can have many purposes and come from many places. Of course, I believe in therapy, uh, but not only in individual therapy, and, but also in family therapy, in group therapy, and community therapy. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, because very often the community as a whole and community-based uh, programs uh, can help not only the victim survivors but also the community mm-hmm. to feel uh, to feel its own ability to be compassionate and to be with their fellow members. Uh, so uh, the answers are complex. Uh, I do yes. believe that open communication is the only way. Yes, but again, when, how, with whom? Uh, it, it, uh, important questions. Yeah, so the and timing it, it, has to be right. Well, I said, and the, every individual has their own particular style. They will have their own particular needs. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't mean to be vague. I mean to just be respectful of the particularity yes. of the individual. So you're saying, but it has to be the right time. It has to be in, under the right circumstance to right. have this kind of sharing. Right, and what's important, for example, many survivors for many years have, you know, been fantastic members of the community, worked hard to build their families and support their families. When, when, they, approach, uh, when they approach aging and, uh, you know, the normal, uh, the normal uh, occurrences of aging, such as retirement, such as children leaving home or moving away, uh, such as becoming sick. Uh, They might suddenly feel as if they are attacked by memories. Yes. Uh, Suddenly they have open time, which they managed never to have before. Uh, you know, and again, the, the, what, the key importance here is the meaning of things, not just that it happened. So, for example, in the Holocaust, you, when you were sick, you were basically condemned to die unless a miracle happened. Okay, and so that when you get sick today, when you're aging, it might take on that meaning. Okay, that, that so, means... So what, what you're saying is those old memories could come back that all what's happened before can be more pronounced as you get older. That's one way. That means this person is aware of the memories. Sometimes mm. back without the person's awareness of the meaning of the memory. Mm. So they will just respond as if they're, they're back living in the camps. 
Uh, but wouldn't know that that's what's happening, and their children wouldn't know, and their doctors wouldn't know. Okay, so it becomes, uh, and and of course the losses uh, that were where well, I believe you can't really mourn meaningfully uh, such massive, such a massive catastrophe. Yes. Uh, and people do their best to, and communities do their best to. Mm-hmm. But again, when you don't have jobs to run to, or raising the children to run to, etc., and I don't mean it only in a negative way, it's, it fills your time and your being, mm-hmm. uh, when that suddenly is not needed, uh, you're left with that emptiness of the mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it makes it very difficult. Mm-hmm. Also, many survivors who are still alive today uh, didn't have, didn't know grandparents. They, mm-hmm. they didn't have, they don't have memories of grandparents. They didn't have the, mo- many survivors don't have the models as to become grandparents or to become you see, and, and the children didn't have many of the second generation didn't have grandparents, so they didn't. They don't have models for that, mm. uh, and so yeah. all the age becomes uh, a rather uh, challenging time. Yeah. And, and which is when, which is when group support is needed, correct? Yes, absolutely. Group support is yeah. extremely important. That's why our project was named Group Project Holocaust Survivors and Their Children to underscore the importance of group as a, as a catalyzing force in so, healing. So we have a few minutes left, Dale. Let's talk about, again, the research project that's assisting families and what people can do, how they can get involved, what you're looking for. Uh, well, uh, I invite all children of survivors and grandchildren of survivors uh, to... Our link, which will be open very soon, uh, the link is called WNexus.org, and there will Spe- spell be... Spell that. Spell that, please. W... Nexus, which is W-N-E-X-U-S, like uh-huh. Sam, yep. uh, .org, and when you when you... Click that, and it won't be before two weeks, so start in July. Okay. Uh, and they are invited to participate in taking the, st- you know, in responding to the questionnaires. That would be a really fantastic help to us, and I assure them, uh, very meaningful for each one. Now, now, what will you do with these questionnaires? Once you, once you accumulate the data, what will you do? What we'll do is to, to, to try to make, to refine it statistically, for, uh, after statistical uh, uh, work. Uh, also, uh, at least 150 of those who would complete the questionnaire would, uh, would be, in, of course, when they want to, when they are interested, would be, in, in addition, would be uh, interviewed by a, a trained clinician to validate or invalidate what's in the questionnaire. So that gives us another way to, to make the questionnaire a solid instrument. 
uh, aimed uh, within the year with the statistical work, the clinical work, and the overall work, we hopefully uh, will have an instrument that will assess multi-generational legacies of trauma. It will then, as I said before, would enable us to study any question regarding the Holocaust survivors' generational population. Uh, and I know many children of survivors and grandchildren of survivors have, are totally interested in studying their own people. That, and, and more so, uh, whether the Armenian community, the, the Cambodian community, the Rwandan community, the Bosnian community, the Sudanese community, I can go on and on and on, and groups of persons who have been victimized individually as well. So it, so it gives them an instrument, it gives them a tool, it gives them some data, information. Um, some data, meaningful data, scientifically valid data. And furthermore, it will give policymakers a clearer picture of what's really going on after trauma. And hopefully that will inform scientifically based programs to help. So we won't just speak about what we believe helps. Yes, we will know. We will uh, know. Yeah. Do you work with uh, with survivors in, in therapy individually or in groups? Absolutely, are you, are you doing and, and in the context of family and in the community as well. And mm-hmm. we did with 9-11 survivors and, and first responders and helpers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worked in Rwanda and in Cambodia and South Africa and Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you think, based on all your work, you know, talking about hope, do you feel that uh, that people who are victims, whether they're children or grandchildren, even if it's generational, do you feel there was a lot of hope? I mean, do you feel that people can lead functional lives? Oh, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I, I, I believe that they can not only, you know, lead functional lives, a lot of them are wonderful contributors to their communities, mm-hmm. uh, build wonderful families, uh, and uh, there's no question uh, in my mind. I've grown. I'm, I'm very humbled by having worked with people, seeing them grow, uh, and and not just achieve, but uh, meaningfully integrate. Really, the, the most horrifically challenging pieces of history of, of this, of the last century and this century. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the program. It's enlightening, and I'd like you to uh, give out the information again for people to contact you or to look up the organization. I think you said wnexus.org. Right. It's that is for, for the research. To contact okay. me, very okay. easy, Y-A-E-L-D at AOL.com for Yael Danieli, Y-A-E-L-D. Right. And I want to know about the research project. Very, they, I'm very accessible. All right, if they want to know about the research project or if they're interested in, in therapy uh, with their family. And because one of the things you've written about we didn't talk about today is it's certainly generational. So right. it might be your grandparent, but it's still affecting you from the generations. Right. And, and there are many third generations who 
who really uh, who are so impressive in their ways of trying to to both uh, maintain their family's legacies and to 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 become the informers of the next generation. Mm. Uh, amazing, amazing people with a great deal of love and commitment. Thanks so much, Yale. I want to give out the uh, the addresses again. It's Yale Y A E L D at AOL.com. And if you want to be involved in the research project to assist multi-generational legacies of trauma with children and grandchildren and provide, you know, answers for these studies, log on to WNEXUS, WNEXUS.org. After July 1st, not before July 1st. Okay. All right. All yes. right. Clearing Thank- it up. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. And stay on the line for a minute, Yale. Sure, Thank sure. You- yeah, thank you so much for being on the program. For having me. Yeah, all right. All right, folks. Well, that wraps up today's program. We'll be with you next week for an all-new program right here on Patricia Raskin Positive Living on Voice America, America's Voice. All right, folks. Stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.